0: Welcome back to the Stem Blizzards podcast. My name is Ali Hilton. And I'm Vivian Vaughan. Joining us on this episode today is Susan Sweeney. Susan Sweeney is a Senior Vice President, Global Strategy and Commercial Operations at Amgen. She works with scientists to develop new drugs to help patients with serious diseases. Besides being a strong advocate for real-world data and its application in drug development, Susan is passionate about promoting and advancing diversity within the workplace, as well as mentoring other women. Amongst many other achievements, in 2019, she was named one of Modern Healthcare's top 25 women leaders. We are extremely excited to learn more about her journey. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank
2: you, guys. Glad to be
1: here. Just to give our listeners a little bit better baseline, um, you do such incredible work, so could you give us a little bit more of what your day-to-day looks like?
2: Sure, absolutely. I don't I don't know if I ever have a typical day. Um, I wind up in a whole bunch of different things, depending on what's going on with the business and what's happening um, in the industry. But generally what I do is I would say it's two different types of things. Um, so global strategy or the strategy part of my title is working with the um, scientists and the clinicians at my company, Amgen, and being able to work with them to identify uh, for products that are going to come out way in the future, maybe even 10 years from now, you know, what, what are the types of issues that patients are facing? Um, what are, where, where's the science and how is it advancing when they're doing work in their um, discovery units? Like, what are they looking at and what are they seeing as targets that could potentially be areas that might be able to find a therapy that might be able to help somebody. And what the commercial team does there, because I'm part of the commercial team at Amgen, is work with them to understand, well, who gets treated for that disease? How many people get treated? What type of doctors treat uh, that disease? Is there other drugs that are in development that we might be competing against? And then what are the type of things that we should be considering when we develop one of these drugs because there's a lot of different things that have to go into consideration, such as how do you dose the drug? Is it something that you're going to take in pill form? Or is it something that's a potential that you have to administer through an IV? And then where do you administer the IV? And so a lot of work is around strategy and developing what a drug might look like when it comes to market. Um, Also, I work a lot with the teams that actually have drugs in market and understand how how is the drug doing in the market? Are there other needs that patients need that we need to work with our clinicians to understand, should we be developing another indication for that drug? Or is there information that patients need that from a communication standpoint that we can provide better information on? So that's part of the work and so as I said, Any day could go in any direction. It might be that we're talking about a cancer therapy that's in market today. So for somebody that has non-small cell lung cancer, um, what is one of the drugs we have in market just launched? How is the drug being used by physicians? What questions do they have? Um, Or I might be talking about a drug for lupus, um, a disease that has very few options. It's uh, where your immune system attacks uh, your own body And it manifests itself in many different ways. And today for lupus patients, there's a new option from another company that just got approved today, which is really exciting because there's not a lot of available therapies for lupus patients. But then at the same time, I needed to understand, well, what did they get approved for? What did the label look like that the Federal, the Food and Drug Administration approved? So then my team that's working on another drug for lupus early can understand how our product might be different or the same, or are there any learnings about it? The other part of my job is what's called operations, uh, which is very operational, (laughs) which is uh, all of the things that a um, team that interacts with customers needs to actually do their job. So, and it's quite basic from what is the software systems that they use on their computers, to um, how are they collecting data uh, when they're having interactions with with people? Like the questions, like how do they get put in? What are the back end systems, the databases that we use, and um, how do we train them? So my the team that trains them also works with me. And you know, in the simplest forms, like if we need to print something, what are the contracts for big printing organizations to go ahead and print something? And then how do you actually get it out to to the customers? You know, I mean, I don't get into all of the details all the time, but it's overall just, you know, from anything that's quite operational to something that's quite visionary and strategic, uh, that's going to make a difference for patients.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's incredible that there's a lot of different bits and pieces that go into it. And I know you mentioned, too, that sometimes it could take like five to 10 years. It must be extremely rewarding to see it like come to life after all those years of like research and making sure
2: yeah it's absolutely i mean it's um it's very rare in the course of your life you get to see something like literally in the course of somebody's life when they're working to be talking to somebody in discovery who's looking at something in their lab to seeing it all the way go through to market and then seeing it you know, have, uh, you know, impact on patients for a long time. And that can be that can be a 20 year cycle um, because you're going from very early until maybe 10 years later when it gets in the market. Now, in some spaces, you can go really fast. And what I mean by really fast is five years. Um, and, but but, you know, hey, you don't never know what the future is going to hold. I would never have predicted a vaccine could get into the market for COVID-19 as fast as it did, which is really the fastest development program I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's it's really cool to hear you talk about that. I I think I haven't personally, I've never, never met somebody that does this kind of work. So I think it's really cool to hear how many people it takes to actually like get that implemented and, and useful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it, tr- it truly does take a village.
2: A lot of people and hey, you know, a lot of patients that volunteer too, because to get these products to market and understand what's going to happen for somebody. And you have to thank all the patients that, you know, volunteer for these. They do volunteer for clinical trials to be able to see how the drug actually works before it goes to market.
0: Right. Susan, can you talk about how you got into this field of work?
2: Very um, roundabout. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I went to my undergraduate was at uh, Gettysburg College, liberal arts school, and I went there because... I honestly really didn't know when I went to college what I wanted to do. And a liberal arts school, Gettysburg's in Pennsylvania, and it had – it's it a pretty small school, but it had a really good program that gave you a diversity of things that you were exposed to. Um, and I wound up having a German major – uh, when I was there, and also a major in business. Um, I explored the the language side because I really wanted to go abroad. I did spend a semester in uh, Cologne, Germany, actually, when the wall came down. So I was uh, I do have a piece. It was a very hard wall. We sold out of McDonald's hamburgers and sledgehammers for those that were standing next to the wall because of how many people were coming over from the east side and seeing the west for the first time or for many, many years. But I um, I graduated and I went to New York City and I wound up working in banking for a year. And I got there because I met somebody who was a headhunter in New York. She went to Gettysburg also. She introduced me into, into the field of banking and I soon found it wasn't for me. It was interesting and exciting and there were things going on, but I couldn't figure out my purpose. And so I just happened to meet somebody who was running a small uh, medical device company. He was an entrepreneur, and it was a very, very small company. There was only about four of us there. And I discovered the pharmaceutical industry, the medical device industry, and entered uh, the industry that way. And then it was just learning afterwards. I went back to school while I was working at Columbia and got my master's in public health and with a concentration on epidemiology and found a a marriage between understanding the business side of healthcare, as well as the science side of understanding how, you know, the etiology of diseases through doing the work in public health, which brought me into the pharmaceutical industry. Um, I first, um, I had consulted to the pharmaceutical industry doing health economics research and uh, then I moved straight into Bristol-Myers Squibb and stayed there for 24 years uh, before I made it over to Amgen.
0: Awesome. So it sounds like a lot of, like all your education and experience in your field is super relevant to t- today with COVID-19. Can you talk about what it feels like to have a career like yours during a global pandemic? Oh,
2: my goodness. Uh, so as an epidemiologist, um it's not a term that people use on a daily basis. And now we use the word epidemiology every day. <laughs> Most people would say, what? You're what? Like I would say, I, right. you know, I did my concentration in epidemiology and people would always say to me, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, it's the study <laughs> of diseases. And now, of course, Dr. Fauci is on the news every single day talking about epidemiology and what it means and how do you look at it? So, you know, um, it's uh, it, it's. It's been really, for me, just interesting watching how uh, things have played out with it. I mean, in honesty, when the pandemic first um, was discussed coming out of China back in 2019 at the end of the year, and we were seeing the initial data coming out of it, having a background in epidemiology and just seeing the rate at which we were seeing the virus spread actually scared me a lot. Um, because the the rate was moving at a fast pace, and then you saw it come into the United States, and then into other countries, and so overall, you know, sadly, I kind of knew the direction that we were moving and what might happen. Now, on the flip side of it, that you also know from studying epidemiology um, that there are good public health protocols uh, that we can follow to help, you know, ameliorate the spread. And, you know, helping people understand what the benefits are of those has been rewarding. We we had a former Surgeon General um, as part of our team at Amgen. And so him as part of our team talking about what was happening in the market and also um, what was happening across the world really helped us understand how do we protect our employee base? Mm -hmm. What are the type of things that we needed to make um, different decisions on with regards to where people will work. And so, for example, at Amgen today still, we have a predominantly remote workforce. Um, our sci- Some of our scientists are back on campus because they have to be because their experiments were going the whole time, Our manufacturing people because they were making the drugs that were going. But many people like me, we work remotely and we have been through the whole pandemic. And we will continue to do so until we feel it's safe. Um, and put those you know those right guards in place
1: definitely I could see how um, just the difference for you having that perspective and you looking at it, I could definitely see how it can be scary because you're seeing that and you understand it from the very beginning yeah and you said that you worked for a large pharmaceutical company for 24 years was this a job that you always saw yourself doing and how did you kind of get there
2: yeah, so I I wound up um as I said I I wound up working for this small medical device company and then really discovered um what are, were the possibilities of things that I could work on and one area that I wound up in was uh with my public health background and Epi was in um was in health economics or um or what some people call also is just um overall how do you develop real world um evidence uh data to be able to show how products actually perform in the marketplace. And by the way, there's data that you can tell overall for procedures and different things of what the results of it are. So no, I never really pictured myself being in there. But once I was in there, what I did realize is the various numbers and jobs and different people it takes to bring products to patients safely. Um, and how many different type of roles, because I would have thought, thought the same thing. I'm at the pharmacy, I get a product, I think about a pharmacist, okay, and I think about a scientist that's going to be involved. But wow, there's so many different type of roles within a large company that makes that happen from, you know, the they are scientists, the scientists that understand the manufacturing process, um, engineers that are actively involved with that of understanding the process. So what's the... What's the process that you use to make a drug? And by the way, for some drugs, it's quite complex. You know, the the period of time from when you actually start the manufacturing process to when you actually have a product that can be released into the market, for some products can be a year. Other ones, it's shorter just depel- depending on what you're developing. Is it a chemical or is it a biologic um, what's the raw, raw molecules that it's coming out of? Like, is it chemistry that you're making it, or is it biology that you're doing it, uh, by, uh, working with proteins? So the, so it just opened my mind. And then from my side, understanding the science and understanding the medicine then lends to a whole nother side, which are the people that actually help discuss the product in the market, which is the commercial team. Um, and so the commercial team can take many different avenues. It could be a sales representative or there's uh, people that we call um, medical science liaisons who are either physicians or PhDs or pharm- uh, pharmacists who have discussions with doctors that have questions and are able to look back at the data and dig in and interrogate because everybody has a different experience with a product, and especially if you're having any type of adverse events or something that's unexpected, you want to be able to provide those answers. At least what you know in your own databases, um, and then the, then just trickle down from that. There's a whole group of, of uh, informational scientists in our in our company. Um, who work on understanding um, artificial intelligence and database analyses. And how do you look at that to make predictions on how things are going to work or not work? There's whole teams of um, HR people, the human resources that then work with the people on the team. The company is a, is a little over 20,000 employees worldwide. So then there's other jobs like relocation. <laughs> Somebody has to help people move around the world. So anyway, if for me, it just opened my mind to all of these possibilities. And I stayed there for 24 years because I was able to always find new, exciting things to work on, interesting people to learn from, and new skills to build without having to move outside of the company.
1: Right. I definitely think that's important. And, and finding a company that you value their what they're doing and you can also still grow within them. I think that that's, um, that's, why, they, that's why you stay at a company for 25 years.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, another thing is just feeling good about the ethics and integrity of the work that people do. And um, as well, you know, just also the type of things that the companies do in providing benefits back to the societies in which they work. Um, for, for Amgen, for example, there, our focus of our foundation, it's a found, the foundation is a separate group from Amgen. They are funded in part through the Amgen Corporation, but they're in an independent nonprofit organization. And their focus actually is on STEM. So they do a lot of work. I'm actually a board member for the foundation. And the, what, what we do is provide grants to advance education. Uh, for example, we sponsor uh, Khan Academy and Lab Exchange as two of the ones that are there. So, you know, also feeling good that the company is um, doing things good for society as well, as well as the people in the company being ethical and having integrity.
0: Yeah, totally. Those are definitely really important parts. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Susan, for answering those first few questions. We're going to take a quick short break and we'll be right back.
2: Hi, it's Wendy Merchant, founder of STEM Blazers. With the school year now well underway, we are looking forward to our upcoming event, the Mocktail Social. This year marks our sixth annual mocktail and it's designed to bring high school and college students together with professional women working in STEM fields for an evening of inspiration and networking and it is always fun. This event will take place on October 29th in the Metro Denver area, and it's open to all students in Colorado. Please make sure to follow us on social media for more details and to register. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Our handle is STEMblazers. We can't wait to see you this year. Now let's get you back to the conversation.
1: All right. And we're back with our second section of questions. Um, Susan, We this is the Stem Blazers podcast, and we love to hear about your perspective on this program and how this has impacted you and how this will impact um, other girls. So the work that you do has such a high impact on on these young girls' lives. What would you say is your favorite part of this work?
2: Yeah, I mean, just even what we're doing today, I mean, I think at least from my story and my career is really understanding what are different careers and pathways you can take. And one of the things that I always uh, say to people who are looking for advice on their career is find something you love and that you have passion for. You will always do better in things that you have passion for than those that you don't. And sometimes when you're going through your career at different places, there's junctures that you get to that say, well, maybe if I do this thing, it'll help me move to something else. And I've always said, you know, you, you really need to find passion for it. So for, for STEM Blazers, it's really about hearing people's stories because you may find something interesting that you hadn't thought of before and go down that avenue. Likewise, also just mentorship and being able to um, have a community of people that you can reach out to and ask questions. I think that's another great thing that's available here. Not only the diversity of things that you can do in the STEM field and go into, but then also finding people that you can connect to so that you can ask the questions that you want um, to figure out You know where really is your passion. And as I said, for me... I didn't know where it was exactly. I was still figuring it out for a while, but when I found it, I found it.
0: For sure. And and so you mentioned kind of like this mentorship ability that you have. Did you have a mentor growing up and can you talk a little bit about like the value of mentorship a bit more?
2: Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Through my whole life I've had different mentors that I've found along the way. And it was in, you know, it was sometimes in places where I was least expecting it. Somebody early in my, um, when I was still in high school, somebody that I wound up uh, babysitting for when I was younger, who had a particular area that they were focused in and kind of found a place where I could ask questions. But then as I got older and, and got into my career, I also sought out certain people for mentorship. Based on specific things that I was interested in. So, for example, you know, the first time that you're leading a team, having a mentor that you can work with to give you advice on, well, how do you lead a team? What does leadership really look like? What, what are the things that you should be thinking about to motivate people to want to come to work and do work like that? And so there's certain people that I found in, in my life that had these leadership skills, I would see them and then sought to work with them or find a way to introduce myself to them to be able to create that mentorship. So I think you always have to, some of it, it may come about, by happenstance, you're with somebody and things fit, and you move and you find out that there's a good mentoring relationship. And some of it are, is to be more thoughtful about it um, and look for certain people. And then the other one is ask your mentors for other mentors. Um, they're great places to go to say, Hey, you know, I'm really interested in this particular field and I don't know anybody in it. Do you know anybody that I might be able to develop a relationship with?
0: I think it's all about connections. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what I was going to say. Like having those connections can really get you anywhere that you want to get to.
1: Yeah.
2: And I was going to say, when I was growing up, there was no social media. I mean, even when I was in college, uh, we still weren't hooked to the internet yet. (laughs) I think when I left college, the internet started to exist and I had my AOL account for the first time. So, you know, social being able to connect and understand even just the social connections, but like LinkedIn. LinkedIn is such a fabulous resource for me now uh, because I can see who I'm connected to and who they're connected to, which also allows me to make the world a lot closer together than further apart.
1: Definitely. I think that's, I mean, with this podcast as well, I mean, our whole point is to reach girls that are even outside of Colorado that can listen to this and relate because they can't be in our program. And so that social media and and the internet gives us that ability too. And I think that's, that changes the whole game because now we're reaching even more girls than we are just in the schools. And Susan, um, how do you feel you're blazing the trail for the new generation of girls?
2: you know, a lot of time that I spend with people I'm mentoring is sometimes career advice and how they're advancing their career forward. But a lot of times it's also just practical advice on life. Um, so as a, um, as a mom of sex now, so we have uh, three sons, uh, three daughters, my husband and I in a combined family. Um, and bringing up a family and working full time can be hard, especially when the when they were younger. And by the way, the youngest just turned eighteen yesterday, so he has claimed they are all adults now. Um, the uh... happy birthday too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he uh, the you know the just the struggle of trying to maintain at home, like taking care of kids and school and, um, you know, their school, like maybe your own schooling at the same time. You know, how do you balance it? I've had a lot of friends who were very hesitant to take a job promotion uh, because they were worried it was just going to be too much. Like, how do I do all of this? And, you know, the answer is there's no solution that fits everybody. Uh, But... It's worthwhile to get a group of people to connect with to understand well, how do you do it? What are some tips? What are some things that you should think about? So, um, I, I definitely spend time in that area. Um, but the other thing is, you know, just really pushing um, and being pushy on pushing a corporation like my own. I mean, I've worked for great companies that have really advanced women in their fields, um, but yet still. When you go and look at CEOs at the very most senior level in our industry, um, it is starting to move that there are more women in these positions, but I would still say there's a long way to go. Um, Even at the executive level where I am, I think it's about 30% right now. And there's lots of statistics on this, lots of studies been done um, that at my level, it's only 30% women yet. We're graduating more women from college now than we are men. So why where is the where is the divide and why is that happening and pushing, you know, some biases that have been built in for years and years and years to think differently about getting different people to run things.
1: Definitely. I think that you can talk about, oh, like more women are graduating, but then there is this gap between that, then who, what women are becoming executives, vice presidents, presidents, um, everything like that. So it, it is women like you that are in these positions, these vice president positions, still pushing, saying, yes, we're getting better, but we still have a long way to go and still pushing for those that really make it opportunities for girls that are in elementary school right now. Like that, what you're doing right now will affect them in 15 years. So it's, it really
0: is awesome work. Yeah, definitely inspiring me as I listen to your story. (laughs) So (laughs) definitely.
1: All right, Um, we're going to move into our rapid fire question round. So we're going to ask you a series of questions and we'll have you answer them as fast as you can. No pressure. (laughs)
2: I know, my goodness, game on.
1: (laughs) Um, The first one is, what is something that you've always wanted to try, like a skill or a hobby?
2: Oh, I've always, always wanted to go hang gliding,
1: Um,
2: but I'm terrified of heights. (laughs) (laughs) Me Me too. too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it does seem like it would be really cool once you got up there,
1: right? <laughs> For sure. How funny! What is your favorite book?
2: I have so many favorite books. I would never be able to pick one book at all. I read. I well, so let me just say, I say I read. I don't really read anymore, but I do read. Um, I have. Uh, I started listening to um, uh, books on tape, Audible books. Uh, when my son, Aiden, was born, he's 21 now. Uh, so I, my first thing was an MP3 player. I listened over, I don't know, 800 books <laughs> wow. on Audible over <laughs> those years. So you can calculate how many it was. <laughs> so I could never possibly ever tell you a favorite book because if I open my Audible account, I could go through each one and be like, "Oh yeah, I love this book. Oh yeah, I love this book." <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, uh, but I do like I do like to do a, a number of different things. I read fiction a lot because it's just nice to you know break away and think about something different. Um, and then I also do nonfiction, and then I do business books too.
0: Yeah, yeah. What is your best life hack?
2: Um, so my husband always says this, though I'm not sure he always does it. Um, which is, you have two ears and two ears and one mouth, so
1: listen more than you talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. What is your favorite way to de-stress? Um, spending time with
2: my family is a great way to de-stress. Uh, the other thing is, you know, right now we're located all over the place. I have two children in Colorado. Um, and we get to see them as much as we can. We all ski. So the one area that we do always come back to almost every year is to Steamboat Springs, Colorado and ski together as a family, which is a is a great place to go and disconnect. I love riding on the left and just having quiet.
0: For sure. Uh, Susan, what makes you feel confident? You
2: know, what makes me feel confident is just when I'm actually put in a situation that makes me uncomfortable, being able to adapt to the situation and do well. Um, The other day, I was talking to a number of, uh, we have a program for recent graduates of MBA MBA programs at Amgen. uh, That's a leadership program that they come in and they rotate through different um, roles uh, before they move into a permanent position. So they spend It's basically a great exploratory early career option because, as I said, there's so many different jobs going into a role like that. You can spend three years kind of figuring out what are the type of roles that you want to or functions that you want to work in. But I did one of my pieces of advice to them is get uncomfortable. And that's what I would say brings me confidence is when I do push myself a little more and I feel that little butterfly of something I haven't tried before, and then I do it, and then I actually can do it. It's that, that real feel of confidence.
0: That's awesome. I love the way that you think about it because you never think that putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation could really boost that, but that's awesome.
1: What is your comfort food? Hmm.
2: Uh, my comfort food is, oh, I know what my comfort food is. It's my absolute favorite food. I would eat it every day if I could. I know it's ridiculous. It's hamburgers. Oh, yes. I, I love hamburgers.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and then what was your favorite class to take?
2: Uh, anthropology. So I took, and when I was at Gettysburg, I took a class in anthropology and um, it, it had, it felt, it filled a credit. And that goes back to, again, you don't know what you don't know, but just understanding how societies work and understanding, like going back in time and understanding why people are acting where they are. I actually find it quite useful in what I do now, because if you think about it at a, at a large company, we are like a little culture and we're a society within the culture and You know, the anthropology class was was fantastic.
1: Yeah. How cool. And then to wrap up these rapid fire questions, Susan, what is your favorite song?
2: So right now I just made a uh, Spotify playlist, a new one. I have lots of favorite songs, but right now the one that's playing in my head. Uh, which, by the way, is a fun thing to do. Plant a song in the morning with somebody you know, and they'll get it stuck in their head all day, so I'll plant this (laughs) one with you. Uh, It's uh, the Rolling Stones' Ruby Tuesday. Uh, My daughter, who lives in Denver, is expecting her second baby today. We don't know if Ruby is going to be her name when she is born, but uh, Ruby Tuesday is in my head right now as we get ready for Ruby.
0: How awesome! You could definitely check out our mentor playlist on Spotify to hear Ruby Tuesday. And lastly, this is a question that we ask all of our guests. Standing where you are right now, what advice would you give to your high school self?
2: Uh, to my high school self, as much of what I said today is, you know, reach out and understand what are the possibilities. I really had absolutely no idea what were the many, many options of things that would be available for, for me to explore and enjoy in my life. Um I, I grew up in a small town in New York. My parents owned a hardware store. Uh there's nobody in my family that was in the medical field or the biotech or pharmacy or anything like that. And so it wasn't even in my mindset. And so, you know, you might wind up in a particular area with your own family or Um, people that you know that are within a certain space, um, go find mentors. If you find interesting things or read about something, go connect on it Um, just to be able to open up the possibilities of, of things that you really enjoy. And that's what I said. The other thing is, which I did do is found my passion and really enjoy and love what I do every day.
1: That's awesome. I love that. And our trivia question for this episode for our listeners is, which planet has the most gravity? If you want to know the answer, check out our Instagram or Facebook page.
0: Well, thank you so much, Susan, for joining us on this episode. It was an absolute privilege to talk to you. And on behalf of STEM Blazers, we want to thank you so much for sharing your story and passions. Thank you. Thank you to the listeners for joining us for another STEM Blazers episode. If you want more
1: information or to stay up to date with what we're working on, check out our website at STEMBlazers.org or our Facebook and Instagram pages at STEM Blazers.
0: We'll catch you on the next episode.